Hello and welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in this series, we will be exploring the current job market and work opportunities in Australia for returning Australian expats. I'll be talking to organisations who engage with Aussie expats about where they see the opportunities and the challenges for Australians coming home. If you've just returned, are thinking about it, this series will give you the current lowdown on working and networking back home. Forget Sydney and Melbourne and you'll be happier, is the message from my latest podcast guest for expats living overseas and thinking about moving home. Liz Ritchie is CEO of the Regional Australia Institute, an independent think tank and the country's preeminent source of research, information and policy advice on regional Australia. And her message is clear, Australia's regions are booming. Right now, there are more than 70,000 job vacancies in the regions, up more than 30% in a year. And the most in-demand jobs are skilled professionals and mid to high skilled trades. So if you're an engineer, a doctor, a nurse, a teacher or an accountant, skip Sydney and move on from Melbourne. You might not only get the job you want, according to the Institute's research, you are likely to end up happier. So welcome, Liz. Thank you, Margot. Great to be with you. Now, before we take a closer look at some of those really interesting statistics that we just mentioned, can you tell us a little bit more about the Regional Australia Institute, or RAI as it's often referred to, and what your role is? The Regional Australia Institute was formed nearly 11 years ago in 2011, at the time through seed funding from the federal government. And it came to be because there was a clear gap in Australia that we didn't have a dedicated think tank that could focus on the issues affecting rural and regional Australia. So its inception was incredibly well placed back in 2011. Over the course of those years, we have uh, shifted and diversified as an organisation. So very much our beginnings were steeped in our research. And then over the time, we've been able to expand our strategy and start to think about how we can actually use that research for what I call activation and impact. So that's seen us expand into a membership model and really taking our thought leadership out to the people in rural and regional Australia to ensure that we have that ability to debate and discuss the issues and opportunities that are coming through the Institute's research. My role is as the Chief Executive Officer, and this is absolutely a dream job, Margot. This is the job that I said probably almost 10 years ago, that one day I'll be the CEO of the RAI. And so I'm very humbled to hold this position. I'm very humbled to do the work that we do. This is much more of a vocation for me. I'm incredibly passionate about regional Australia. Now, Lizzie, you are a girl from the regions yourself. Can you give us a bit of background as to where you grew up and what your story is? I am a very proud girl from Denny, otherwise known as Denny Girl. And uh, for anyone who knows that part of the world, Deniliquin is a beautiful community in southern New South Wales. Its heritage is very much agricultural-based. I am a farmer's daughter, very proud farmer's daughter, youngest of six kids. I have four big brothers and one big sister. 
So our household was a fairly dynamic place uh, to be raised in. Um, but I kept I guess them all in shape. I kept them all in shape and, <laughs> um, you know, uh, rush for seconds was always a sort of evening affair. But look, Daneliquin is a really interesting community. It sort of sits, you know, three, three and a half hours north of Melbourne and about uh, probably eight hours south of Sydney, if you can get that picture in your mind. A population of 8,000 people, as the census says. And look, it's really had its challenges over the years. Probably one of my grounding experiences being raised on a farm was experiencing the highs and lows of farming, living through multiple droughts and understanding the impact of that, not only on our family and our financial circumstances, but the impact on the wider community. When a town like Daniloquin size experiences a drought, it, it really has very strong ripple effect. And so, you know, I guess my passion for regional Australia was really formed at a very young age. Can you give us a little bit of an idea or insight into what kind of research or work the RAI does and what it does regularly around the area of population movement and jobs data? So I guess in the last few years as an institute, we've really focused on jobs and employment, population and what we call livability. So, I mean, I'll start with jobs and employment. One of our strengths-based approach was to ensure that we were looking at the opportunities that existed in regional Australia. And for too long, you know, myths were being perpetuated about the fact that there were no jobs in regional Australia. And so we did the numbers. In 2019, we brought the first regional job vacancies index to life and launched a report that at the time saw that there were 46,000 jobs available. And we thought that was quite a large number. Fast track to today here in 2022, and our numbers are currently sitting north of 83,000 job vacancies today. So, you know, more than doubled. Um, Those numbers, you know, shift slightly, but since the pandemic, interestingly, we've only seen an upward shift. I think the interesting change in those numbers also is what are those jobs, and I know we'll get into this, the, the profile of jobs across regional Australia have really shifted in the last decade. And, you know, those jobs are much more professionally based, whereas 10 years ago, the majority of jobs were very much in that low to middle skill base. And, you know, we can come back to that. So we spend a lot of time um, educating and talking about those job opportunities in regional Australia, using our data, but then also looking to, you know, how do we start to fill some of those jobs? What are the policy approaches that we need to look at? So we'll touch on those. When it comes to population, again, this was a myth that, you know, people are leaving the regions in droves. So we went and did the numbers and found that this was, in fact, not the case. In 2020, we launched a report called The Big Movers. And in this report, we were able to find that in the census period leading it to 2016, that in fact net population growth was felt in regional Australia and that net growth was at 46,000. Again, having that opportunity to bust the myth that regions were dying was in fact not true. And so 
this provided the opportunity to change the narrative and to help not only regional Australians feel prouder and stronger that that their communities aren't dying, but that this discourse across the country that, you know, we should just leave the regions and our poor cousins, it's all dead and buried out there, is very much not the case. And so the opportunity to put it back on our leaders' radar and to ensure that investment, attention and services are being adequately applied where needed. Now, that's not to say that that growth is felt everywhere. Of course, you know, what is central to our work is that regional Australia is not a homogenous place. When you think about regions versus rural communities versus remote you have an enormous amount of diversity and you need to work with the diversity in regional Australia. So we know where that population growth is being most felt. And of course, then there's the COVID story that overlays that. Well, ultimately, you know, numbers don't lie, do they? So gathering the data is just so important to help shape that narrative, as you say, um, and to shine a light on it, which is fantastic. Now, This thing called COVID comes along into 2019 and I'm interested in what the impact on that was with the regional population during that time. Did it fast track what was already starting to happen? Yes, is the short answer. I guess to lean into the population discussion, we very much saw a trend and that trend was shifting. But part of the barrier had always been this idea that you can work genuinely from anywhere across Australia. And I guess when you think about what COVID did, it literally transformed the way we work overnight. I mean, it's my view that it it genuinely fast-tracked what is the future of work by at least a decade. So we would have got there eventually is our hope, or at least we think we would have got there. But it it just meant overnight businesses had to accommodate the ability to have staff be remote, be flexible. And the lockdown, I think, did a number of things. Central to that, it allowed people the opportunity to reflect And it's that reflection where people were confined, only able to go within a few kilometres of their home, and and that feeling of being trapped. You know, I mean, the great Australian dream is live and well. So if you're sitting in a city, you can't afford to buy your home, you're locked within your suburb, and, you know, you're feeling as if there's got to be a better way to live. And you allow your imagination to drift. And generally, that imagination will take you to a beautiful location. And of course, that's where regional Australia comes to its own. You know, it really does offer such a beautiful lifestyle. And, you know, our research told us that. So research that we launched in late 2020, we did a survey across the four major metropolitan cities and we found that one in five city dwellers wanted to make the move. And the reason they wanted to make the move was because they were dreaming of more time, more space, more connection to natural environment. They were also dreaming of having less debt, less congestion interestingly, less anxiety. And so it really creates a picture in your mind of how a person is living in a city life. And then given the chance, given the opportunity that COVID provided, we saw this mass exodus out to the regions. And that, in fact, has stayed in place, yes. 
And that's interesting because I think when we talk about our expat community, the biggest motivator or one of the biggest motivators for returning is lifestyle. And I mean, whilst jobs are absolutely critical and important, lifestyle is a driver and a driving factor. And so I think what we're quite excited about is the opportunities that are being presented in the regions for highly skilled professionals that can actually meet both career drivers, but also lifestyle drivers. So that's that's a really interesting piece um, for our community. I think it's it's definitely fair to say that there has been a shift in the way that city people think about the regions though. So that's certainly something that's positive. I guess what sits at the heart of that for many in terms of consideration is jobs. So I'm really interested to hear from you, you know, or your hear your observations around what is the current situation of job vacancies in the regions. We've heard I think 84,000 you said before. What does that look like? Yeah, look, the numbers oscillate. So in the last year, our peak was at 86. I think that was two quarters ago. And, you know, it's probably been upwards of 70, 75,000 in the last year. So they've moved, but it's generally been on the increase. So to get into some of that detail, I guess what sits at the heart of this conversation is that regional economies are more sophisticated than they once were. So to your community abroad, you know, again, let's dispel the myths that regional communities are not backward centres anymore and that they have, simply by looking at the profile of employment that's available, we have today the highest percentage of those vacancies sitting within what we call the professional sphere, engineers, doctors, nurses, teachers, accountants, lawyers, you name it, any professional service, there is just such a diverse range of employment opportunities that are now available in the regions that simply weren't there in the past. And that is to service the the growing population. And I think that's one of the things that we are really keen to profile is that the opportunities lie in the regions. It's not just in the city. And if you are upwardly mobile or on the move home and not anchored just to a city, the regions are definitely a viable consideration. So how bad is the job shortage? Well, as I said, today it sits around that, you know, upwards of 80,000. And these are advertised jobs. So anecdotally, you could actually double those numbers. So you could be in the vicinity of upwards of 150,000 jobs. And, you know, this is in the regions. Job shortages are being felt right across the country like never before. Now, this is for a number of reasons. Obviously, we've had our borders shut for a number of years, but we've also, because of COVID, experienced, you know, record investment in in new infrastructure projects. We're in an um, energy transition phase, the need to increase healthcare workers to support the COVID crisis. We've just found ourselves in a really precarious position as a nation that these job shortages are really starting to pinch. And when you look at the fact that so many organisations aren't even advertising anymore, that is really disappointing because from our perspective, that is uh, disabling their ability to actually scale up. And so it's not until they get those skills and attract those skills into the regions that those organisations and and many small to medium-sized businesses can actually start to grow and realise the opportunities that are facing them. 
as you would know, Margot, at the moment, we've got a new government who are very focused on how we can go about filling these jobs and increasing our skills and indeed fast-tracking skill development, which needs to be central to this conversation. And productivity, how we can enhance our productivity is also central to this conversation. So it, it is a really unusual time, but it, it isn't just in the regions, it is across the country. And so what's hot right now? What are the industries that are crying out? You know, where where are they? The mining sector is forever crying out. And, you know, the mining sector, whilst predominantly sits in Western Australia and Queensland and parts of New South Wales, it has really been through a renaissance as well. Its ability to utilise new technology and to transition to meet our 2030 targets or indeed carbon neutral, as I heard last week, you know, you've got some of our largest mining companies really taking this very seriously as as industry has taken it very seriously. So, um, you know, the mining sector, I lived in Western Australia for nearly eight years and was there at the time when Rio Tinto developed its first mine of the future Agriculture. Agriculture is a sector that is really shifting. When we talk about that shift in low to medium skills, but lifting to professional skills, the agricultural sector is really central to that conversation because what we're looking for now are skilled agronomists and scientists and data scientists who can help farmers understand how to optimise their crops and how to get the best return you might have a handful of farmhands and and a farm manager because so much more is being automated. You know, that leads me to manufacturing, which, of course, is certainly an area of vast opportunity in regional Australia and very much on the the new government's agenda. So manufacturing has enormous opportunity to build in its optimization. But actually, the biggest area is health. So when we look at the jobs of the future and where we're going to have the greatest vacancies, it continues to be in our health sector, number one, and number two is our education sector, two critical sectors for our nation, but in particular for our regional communities. If we don't get the doctors and the the physiotherapists and the psychologists to move to regional Australia, then this here lies at the core of one of my passions, which is to hopefully try to rebalance the nations to ensure that regional Australia has a level playing field and that health services are more readily available. You know, we've seen some big shifts through COVID, ensuring that telehealth is now finally live and well. I mean, it shouldn't have taken a global pandemic to bring that to life. But as you know, with parents in the regions, my parents, you know, they every week would be travelling to a large regional centre from Deneliquin to see a health specialist at their cost and both of time and out on the roads. And, you know, my parents are are not young today. And so, you know, it really is an impost to not be servicing health and education in the way we need it to be. So they're some of the areas that are really starting to boom. And I think, you know, from a livability perspective, if we're really going to consider the regions, we want to know our kids are going to be educated and have options. We want to know that we're okay and that we have health services on our doorstep or close by for us to access. So, you know, it's all that social infrastructure that's just so important, isn't it, to making a community not just exist but thrive. 
Yeah, no, it sits at the heart of livability. We have long advocated for the need for social infrastructure. Hard infrastructure has been central to, I guess, government's regional policy framework for decades. So can you give us some examples of, I guess, some regions that are on a particular lookout for skilled professionals? Oh, look, they really are everywhere. I mean, you could look at our, we have on our website, which might be a great resource, we have the Regional Job Vacancy Index map, and it actually shows which parts of the country are particularly high in job vacancies at the moment and gives that kind of profile of high-skilled through to lower-skilled roles that are currently available. But if I just name a few around me, I'm sitting here in our nation's capital, Canberra and ACT, you know, if I look towards the west of New South Wales, you've got places such as Dubbo who are experiencing enormous investment. They've been nominated as one of the renewable energy zones. And so with that, you know, New South Wales government is investing vast amounts of money to ensure that that region can transition And so with that energy transition, they're investing in very large new solar farms, as an example. And also, I guess, with that investment comes the need for greater housing. Housing is a sort of a major issue at the moment across the country, but particularly in our regions. So where regions are experiencing large investment, they're struggling to keep pace with the housing. And so one of the latest technologies that I have just been informed of in Dubbo is that they're looking at developing housing through what's a kind of more internationally acclaimed process in 3D printing. So they're going to bring, yeah, new housing estates to life through 3D printing, which just blows my mind. I know. (laughs) And so I've been very busy on YouTube, you know, Googling this. I wouldn't say it's prominent, but it's certainly a feature over in Europe. And I think it's, you know, it's making its way over here. And it'll be great to see some of these projects come to life, particularly out in in Western New South Wales. You know, you only need to look anywhere in regional Australia where there are big projects and investments. We've got just here at Snowy Hydros in Cooma is, you know, enormous development work opportunities for engineers, scientists, you name it, uh, electricians, plumbers, all trades. It's an enormous project that is underway. And so, yeah, you can look anywhere across the country and see those opportunities readily available. So I'm interested to hear, how do you work with industries on the changing way of work and how regions can benefit? Um, One of the drivers of my own council, which is an industry council called the Regional Australia Council that has some of Australia's largest businesses like uh, Australia Post, Telstra, NAB, you know, Nutrient Elders, the list goes on, an incredible council, is to actually really start to drive that conversation about genuine flexibility. Because whilst we've got those job opportunities available that are in place, what we are very much seeing is that trend of people taking their job and moving to the regions and using that opportunity to create their best life. And they may be working from home or they may be working from a regional hub, a co-working centre. 
and and or they're doing a mix. So, you know, to the Atlassian story, I only read recently that they're actually developing regional hubs to support their staff who are choosing to live in regions and work and live from anywhere across the country. So you've got great examples there. Telstra was very much at the lead, you know, years ago they announced all roles flex and that was well before the pandemic. But, you know, if you speak to anyone in Telstra, it wasn't widely adopted because as a nation we just had a different view of what work looked like and that presenteeism was ever felt. And so it's a very exciting transition to be making. And, you know, I know from our friends in Telstra that their numbers of all roles flex and people moving out to the regions is very much on the up. So it's great to see. I think combined, I mean, flexibility, yes, but what we have is to go back to some of your earlier points is we've got true vacancies in the region. So it's not just people moving to the country and taking their city job with them, but there are real opportunities that are there in the regions for people to consider as well. So one of the things that I was interested in is according to RAI, if I move to the regions, find a job and a house, I'm probably going to be happier. Is this true? It is true, and it's not surprising, is it, Margot, as regional no. <laughs> girls? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I continue to say that you can shape the good life in regional Australia, and these statistics just speak to that. So, yes, it is true that people who live in regional Australia score higher on, on the happiness uh, index, and I think when you, you know, when you imagine a life well lived, it's about connection, it's about community, it's about having a, a beautiful place to live or a safe and secure place to live, which is really important. And it's about having access to good employment. I mean, we've all seen the research that says, you know, money's important up to a point, but actually it is at the end of the day, it is about relationships that make a good life. And so, you know, we know this about regional communities. We know that in the pandemic in the cities, the, the feeling of isolation and loneliness that was being felt uh, in lockdown in the high rises when you couldn't get outside and, you know, you couldn't put your feet in the grass. And I think that what it instilled in people was almost a, almost a sense of resentment. I don't want to live like this. And in the research that we did uh, that I shared earlier, that idea that people in the cities were looking to get away from the things that were stressing them out and causing the anxiety, such as congestion, such as a more affordable lifestyle. I mean, the debt levels that people are carrying in the cities extraordinary and very, very stressful. So when you look at that picture, it makes sense that regional people are happier. And it's certainly a narrative that I'm very happy with. Um, as I mentioned to you off air, I've recently had a couple of inquiries from doctors, um, one in particular living in the US, wanting to come home to the regions. And it's like, how do I check out these opportunities? What is your advice for him or for other professionals who are looking to tap into them? Where can they go? What is something that they can actively sit, sit where they are today and do a bit of research and pre-planning? Yeah, you know, we would certainly love to hear from any expats overseas who are wanting to return home and particularly bring their skills to regional Australia. And we'd be very happy to connect them. There's a vast health 
network here in Australia, whether it's looking at rural and regional allied health, there's a peak organisation uh, here in Canberra, whether it's looking at rural GPs, we've got peak bodies that service and are constantly looking for rural GPs to take placements, to fill locum positions. And that's often a good way to sort of try before you buy concept to look at those locuming opportunities. You know, the AMA, any of those sort of peak organisations, I mean, I'm thinking about health at the moment, whether it's in dentistry or psychology, they're wonderful networks to reach out to if you're starting to contemplate coming home and looking into the regions because the need is absolutely so great. And you would say the same for any other sector. So if you are a mining professional, you know, there are Minerals Councils of Australia, the Chamber of Minerals and Energy in Western Australia. All of these peaks have their membership organisations readily make their job opportunities available. And so I'd suggest that that would be probably one of the best starting points for someone considering coming home. And you mentioned earlier, was it Move to More? website that actually contains links through to roles? Yes. So the Move to More is our very own campaign that the Regional Australia Institute launched only a little over 12 months ago in March 2021. And this really came about, it was the first national awareness campaign initially targeting city dwellers. But I have noted that we do have quite a reasonable uh, visitation rate from international visitors to the site, which is great. So phase one of the the website was really about canvassing regional Australia. So we showcase close to 2,000 regional towns and it gives a sort of short questionnaire which says, you know, what will be important to you in terms of tailoring? You know, how far from a capital city do you want to be? Are you looking at a sea change or a tree change? Just some simple questions. And then it sort of drills down and gives you a range of regional communities that could be well-placed for your needs when considering to come home. So phase two, which is not quite launched, but we're getting close, is we're seeking to bring in these job opportunities. So we're going to be working with not only our partners in our, our member partners, but also regional communities, local governments. We're working with Indeed as an employment platform to bring these jobs to life. So we're hoping to build what will be ultimately a one-stop shop for anybody, whether you are in Australia or abroad, to look at our website, Move to More, and to start to get a sense of what do these communities look like and what are the job opportunities and indeed the housing opportunities that are available um, at this point in time. So looking forward to bringing that phase two to the market. Yeah, great. And we will be sure to include links to the Move to More website on our show notes. What do you think the Australian public and private sector could be doing more of to tap into the senior executive Australians working overseas and wanting to come home? You've really educated me, Margot, in this understanding what is available in the expat community. I mean, noting that there's a million people abroad right now with, with such a vast array of professional skills that could be returning to Australia, the government has a, a wonderful opportunity to try to probably potentially to, and I don't know if they already do this, but to have some kind of an audit of skills to understand what is the skill base that's out there in our expat community. And then how can we start to to match these uh, job opportunities that we see are readily available 
Um, I think it's about education as well. I mean, you know, thank you for inviting me to be on the program because I'm sure for those listening, it's quite surprising to understand that there are upwards of, you know, 150,000 job vacancies across rural and regional Australia and to know that you don't need to come back to Australia and uh, be bound to Melbourne and Sydney opportunities that you can actually shape your best life out in rural and regional Australia and continue the career potentially that they're already working in. Awareness is everything, isn't it? You know, raising the awareness of what's available to people in the regions, but also for the regions to be aware of the extraordinary talent and capability that we have that is putting their hand up and saying, look, I'm interested. So, Lizzie, just in closing, why is it important to have more Australians living prosperously in our regions? What is the benefit for us as a nation and as our community? Really, the central premise sits in a report that we launched in 2019, and it was called Regional Population Growth, Are We Ready? And this report looked out to 2050, and it said that if we didn't change our current population trajectory in growth in our capitals, we were going to become a nation of megacities, and that's predominantly, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth. And so when you think about the Australian identity, do we want to be a nation of megacities or is it time to start to think about how we can create a much better, more prosperous national settlement plan? We have a beautiful country that is underdone in terms of where our population reside. When we think about our energy transition and the opportunities that lie in regional Australia, when we think about uh, climate change and sustainability, we have a, a vast opportunity to reshape and rethink what our country looks like, where we work, how we work, where we live. As I always say, it's now important to live where you love, not live where you work. Absolutely. Oh, Liz, look, I could continue the conversation for another hour at least. I'm really grateful for your time and thank you for shining a light on those opportunities. And um, we look forward to sharing more of the details via our website. Thank you so much. Thank you, Margot. It's been a great discussion. Regional Australia Institute is a distribution partner of our inaugural Australian Expat Career Survey 2022. If you're an Aussie expat still overseas or returned in the last three years, we would love to hear your views. Go to australianexpatcareersurvey2022.com or follow the link on the InSync website. All participants will receive first access to the survey report, plus the opportunity to join a complimentary career repatriation workshop and networking event with other returning Australian expats. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes.